This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the news in the last uh, couple of weeks from the United States has been of serious financial players selling stock. Jamie Dimon is the chief executive of J.P. Morgan Chase. He has never sold stock in his career, and he unloaded $1.2 billion of stock, it says, and the other Financial guru, I suppose, Warren Buffett, maybe the most famous in the world of all of these gentlemen. He also has sold a lot of stock and Buffett is regarded as an iconic figure, as indeed is Diamond in, in a way. The other thing that's happening that's remarkable is happening in, in the UK where the COVID inquiry is really revealing some shocking stuff about the British government, about Boris Johnson and indeed about the current Prime Minister Rishi Sunak which we'll come to. We're joined. It's a pleasure to welcome, as always, to the stand by Chris Johns. Chris is former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland and now a respected commentator. Chris, we start with the financial stuff because you'll know if there's some reason for Jamie Dimon breaking the habit of a lot of a career time or a lifetime and Warren Buffett also selling stock. Is there something, is it to do with the two wars that we're witnessing in the Middle East and in Europe with Russia, Ukraine, one conflict and Israel and the Palestinians, the other. Buffett rarely tells us why he's doing what he does at the time. We often get uh, each year, actually, a letter that he writes to his shareholders. His company, the vehicle for which he does all these things, is a company called Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. And that company itself, because it essentially is a play on Warren Buffett's investment acumen over many decades, that company has been a fantastic share to own, Eamon. So I hope you have it in your pension fund. <laughs> I, I don't know what's in there. <laughs> you have a, okay. All right. Um, so, well, with Diamond, we do know because he quite often talks about the outlook and what he's thinking. And... He has this year, on a couple of occasions, said that he thinks the world is the most dangerous place that he's seen, if not in his lifetime, certainly for many, many years. And he has mentioned specifically that the war in Ukraine, right. and I suspect if he was talking today, he would be talking about what's happening in the Middle East. 
Um, he made these remarks about the world being a dangerous place before the, the, the war in the Middle East started on October the 7th. So I think there is potentially an investment view there, a, an opinion about the future going on with Diamond's share sales. Uh, he is a billionaire, thanks mostly to his shareholding in his bank, of which he is the CEO, uh, JP Morgan. Uh, I think that there's a, a, an equally interesting question as to whether any bank CEO anywhere in the world should be a billionaire. Does that make any sense? But uh, as I say, that that's a separate question. Buffett's track record with these things is excellent. There's probably no better investor in the world. But yes. like all investors, he sometimes gets it wrong. He, he isn't always right. Um, but he has done this sort of thing in the past, and he is well known for waiting things out. And then when the economy tanks, taking the stock market with it, yeah. he um, moves and buys up cheap assets. That's something he's done right. repeatedly throughout his career. So I suspect both gentlemen are very wary about the outlook for 2024 uh, because of the factors that we've described. I suspect they're also very worried about the political situation in the United States because, yes. of course, 2024 is a, is, a, is a presidential election year. And neither gentleman would be well disposed to what is likely to happen uh, should it go the way of Donald Trump. So, yes, they are worried. Um, it's all about economic forecasting, of course, which you and I have talked about an awful lot. And yes. uh, it's one of those things that's very, very difficult to get right, even if you have access to the information sources that these two guys have, which will be the best in the world. If anybody's got access to the best real-time information about what's going on in the U.S. and world economies, it's these two gentlemen. And, but this time last year, everybody was forecasting that the U.S. would be in recession by now. And that couldn't, that, that actually couldn't have been more wrong. The U.S. economy at the moment is in rude health. There are a lot of people who think that that's still not likely to continue. These two men might be two of them, but these are just economic forecasts, albeit from guys that have a good track record in this area. Let me ask you about the climate change issue. There was a dramatic story yesterday, the first time ever. Who went above two percent, and three three percent is reckoned to be game over, but it just tipped over for briefly, in recently over two percent yesterday, in fact, or the day before. Climate change has to be a factor, doesn't it, Chris, in the world economy? Yeah, and it, it affects us in a number of ways. There are the direct effects on the economies that already are being affected. Yes, um, you know there are island economies that are becoming waterlogged, shall we say, that, that the sea level is rising and affecting smaller nations. It's affecting Africa particularly badly. One of the reasons, one of the many, many reasons why many countries have immigration problems is that people are fleeing the effect, the economic effects yes. of, of climate change. Uh, you, you can the, the data is, as you say, that this is shaping up to be the hottest year on record, and it's already having impacts on, and I don't feel too sorry for them, for ski resorts and and for other um, economic activities. It definitely is already impacting. It's impact, impacting, you talked about Warren Buffett and investing. It's a really, really big deal in the world of investing because regulators are trying really hard to get investors like Warren Buffett to be more ESG friendly, ESG standing for environment, social and governance investing. And that's a major deal in in that world, and they're they're trying hard. But the climate change thing, as as you rightly say, we we might go three degrees above the, the baseline. The United Nations warned yesterday. 
And uh, whether it's game over or not, as you said, I, I'm not sure, but it is potentially catastrophic from a whole host of perspectives, obviously. But the, 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 the thing is, climate change generally is something that we seem to take literally. We all know it's happening, but we don't take seriously. Um, yes, and one of the uh, it's happening in Ireland, and it's affecting. You know, there's been floods in Newry. There's been floods in the west of Ireland. Shocking, shocking, t- tragic scenes of people's homes and their businesses going underwater, and being impossible to insure. And it, it is also for farmers being unable, for example, to get potatoes out of the ground. Because the ground, you you can't move a vehicle over it. it. It is very visible here, and we're nowhere near the worst of it in Africa, as you say, and elsewhere. And and yet the world seems paralyzed, if that's the right word, to find a response. Yeah, we're doing something, but but not, by no means enough. If we were taking climate change seriously in Ireland, for example, but also the UK and many other countries, we'd be much more serious about alternative energy. And our entire coastline would be ringed with wind farms. Yes, We would would have gotten rid of all of the ridiculous planning restrictions that apply to these sorts of things, that it takes years to get planning approval. Um, These things are are expensive, so capital raising is, is, is more difficult than it should. There's enough wind power around the coast of Ireland for for the country to become a net exporter of energy. If only we could just do it. But unfortunately, we don't. And it, the tr- it's true in the UK and in Europe. It's it's it, There is a lot of alternative energy development going on in Europe, but it just isn't enough. It's not being done to scale. We're not treating this climate emergency in the same way that we've treated, say, the financial crisis or even COVID. We've not... Uh, harnessed a national response on the scale necessary to deal with the problem. Um, we're we're tr- tr- trickling around the edges, but we're not meeting the challenge head on. And that, of course, um, one of the things, if we were meeting the challenge head on, it would, it would be transformative for our economies, actually, because the amount of investment that's needed, in particular alternative energy, we need to transform our economies in a whole host of ways. So, and, and a lot of them are going to be quite positive because they're going to involve spending an awful lot of money. One of the reasons, of course, we don't is that our, our governments um, are strapped for cash in, in many countries. Your, your, your country, Ireland, is, is less strapped for cash than, than most others, for example. And we're going to find out in the UK just how strapped for cash the Chancellor is this week. So it, it's, 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 there are so many things that we could and should be doing um, there are, in, in Ireland, you've got the issue of dairy farming, which is a bigger contributor globally to greenhouse emissions yes. and emissions generally than the aviation industry. And sometimes I think that we, we get our priorities wrong. We, you know, young people are urging all of us oldies not, to, not to fly, but, um, I'm not noticing many of them telling us to stop eating, eating meat, which would, which would have a much bigger effect on emissions. So we, we need to understand the problem better as well as spend an awful lot of money on it. In that context, Chris, in the King's speech, King Charles's first speech, it uh, used to be known as the Queen's speech, of course, Rishi Sunak announced that they were going to drill for oil and increase the drilling considerably, which is ironic that uh, King Charles had to speak those words on behalf of the government. This He reads the government policy because he has been conscious of the environment for I'd say 50 or 60 years, since forever that I've known him, 
he was scoffed at for being a tree hogger and all of that. So Sunak, in his hour of need, is apparently ditching or prepared to ditch a key element in his energy production and take more oil out, which is uh, definitely a bad thing for climate change, isn't it? Absolutely. And the scientists tell us that the more fossil fuels that we can leave in the ground, oil, gas and coal, the better. And if we could leave all of them in the ground, um, that would be best of all. But of course, our economy still run on oil to a considerable extent. It would have been much better, I think, to have had a, a balanced King's speech. And, and frankly, these old drilling licenses almost, almost are neither here nor there, because the amount of oil left in, and gas left in the North Sea is, is in, in, on a global scale, pitifully small. It would be much better to have announced, to have buried that announcement. If uh, I'm not quite sure why he wants to do it, because um, the proper headline would have been Britain goes for broke on alternative energy and is going to relax planning laws, is going to free up some capital and is going to do the pricing of wind energy properly. Ironically, one of those things it did do this week. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a failed auction for uh, offshore licenses, wind licenses, in which the government just got it completely and utterly wrong. They made a complete bags of it. And this week, they, they, they got it right. What you have to do is offer the wind companies a guaranteed price for the electricity that they're going to produce. And they, they got it right this year. If you'd majored on that in the King's Speech, it would have made much more environmental sense and would have made much better PR. So even when they get it right, they don't seem to be able to get the PR right. And that's something that I think that uh, is symptomatic of this government. It even It's mostly getting it wrong still. It's a, it's a fag-end government that's so clapped out that it can't even get its public relations right when it does get the odd policy right. So they're flailing, and you know we're sitting here waiting for the election, and that's a symptom of a more general malaise. I think one of the reasons why we, why Buffett and Diamond might be worried about the economy is obviously climate change and what that's yes. going to do to us over the next few years. But it, I think it's impacting on us um, in, a, in a more in a psychological way, in, even in the short term, even when we don't feel the direct impact. Of, you know, if we, we don't live near floods or if we don't live on an island yes. that's slowly sinking. I think there's a sense of fatalism amongst a lot of people, not everybody, um, that climate change is one of those things that is just so awful that we don't want to think about it. But when we do, we feel bad about it. And we also know that very little is being done about it. And so if that affects people's confidence, and confidence is one of those things that's so important for economic development, for economic growth, um, one feels that for, for that reason, and for lots of other reasons in the UK, the lousy government being another, of course, Confidence is just absent. Yes, and I just uh, as a sort of an aside, uh, Joe Biden has done significant things on climate change and has been generally, it's generally agreed, has been very aware of it and progressive. He's got zero tanks in the polls by all accounts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let me move on, Chris, to the COVID inquiry currently taking place in London, which is designed to find out what the British government did right or wrong during COVID and to prepare Britain for the future, a future pandemic if one should arise. Some remarkable things are emerging from senior civil servants and yesterday for uh, Sir Chris Whitty, who was the chief scientific advisor to the government. He was the man standing beside Boris Johnson in the evening uh, press conferences. And he gave evidence yesterday, which was quite alarming. There's been a lot of alarming evidence, actually, including confirmation from one of Boris Johnson's civil servants who remains apparently benign about Johnson, uh, that Johnson did in fact say, let the bodies pile high. Yeah, there have been lots of things coming out of this this thing. Yeah, well, yesterday, this is what I want to get to, Chris, it, it emerged that one of the measures Sunak, when he was chancellor, one of his initiatives was the eat out to help out scheme, which encouraged people that gave them a tenner to go out, eat in a restaurant and save the, the restaurant business. And Sir Chris Whitty said that, that that eat out to help out measure, in fact, did increase the number of deaths significantly. And Sunak apparently is according to Chris Whitt, he said, let them die. They've had yeah. a good innings anyway. This is a, yeah. a reference to people in care homes. Yeah, this I is think shocking stuff, isn't it? We, we've got evidence from both Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance, who were the co-chairs yes. of the advisory committee, uh, helping Boris Johnson and the cabinet deal with all of this. I availed of Eat Out to help out myself several times during that summer. Did you so get COVID? I, I did. Um, I don't obviously know where I got it from or, or how, but uh, I'm one of the people who got COVID pre-vaccination. 
So touch wood, I'm still here. Yes. Uh, so it, it, it was a, t- it was a weird time in Britain. And it was quite clear that the cabinet at the time was split between letting COVID rip and more lockdowns and that the lockdown people were led by Michael Gove. And it was the chancellor and Boris Johnson who just wanted to let it rip. One of the things that clearly emerged from the evidence given yesterday and I think today as well is the another uh, confirmation of everything that we were told about Boris Johnson, um, about how just completely useless he was at so many different aspects of being a prime minister. He, I think Patrick Vallance said that, uh, made a point of saying that Johnson gave up science when he was 15. Yes, he did. And uh, the point there, of course, being that Johnson couldn't handle the science. He was forever at those press conferences talking about what the science uh, was, was saying, about what that necessitated for policy, wh- why there had to be a lockdown, or indeed why there ha- shouldn't be a lockdown. And Balance was saying yesterday, for example, that Johnson didn't really understand the science and that uh, there was a, a wonderful anecdote for, for, for geeks like me about how but uh, Valance narrated a story of, of, of speaking to a foreign colleague um, who was advising another head of state o- overseas about uh, about how um, his his leader didn't understand exponential curves, uh, you know, a piece of jargon that was so important during that 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 crisis. And of course, all the scientists laughed at this. But th- that's a particular example about how Britain has been so ill served. Ultimately, going back to Michael Gove saying that we don't do experts anymore. You remember that famous quote? Yes, he was sick of listening to experts. Yeah, and so that's infected everything in in, in a virus like way. In that we just don't do complexity anymore. No, Uh, it's it's one of Donald Trump's favourite mottos as well. We don't listen to experts, and that's why he turned on the doctor Fauci. Yeah, who was leading their COVID policy and their COVID, their war with COVID. He sacked him in the end, but treated him abominably. If you don't embrace complexity, the world as it is, you'll get it wrong because you can, you can wish the world to be very simple. You can wish things like COVID to be very simple. You can wish things like fiscal policy in the United Kingdom, very topical this week, is a simple matter. But these matters are fiercely, fiercely complicated. And if you don't embrace that, you're just going to get it wrong, as as we did during COVID, and as we are now with fiscal policy in the UK. Our um, denigration of expertise is costing us very, very dearly, both in terms of climate change, in terms of the things like COVID, and in terms of the way we run our economy, our spending and taxation policies, as we're going to see from Chancellor Hunt this week. Yes, it's the what's called tomorrow, it's the autumn statement. This is a statement that Jeremy Hunt the Chancellor of the Exchequer will make about um, the government's plans, economic plans uh, for the coming year. It has to be just a year or thereabouts before the Tories have to face a general election. There are, it is, I think, being spun out from government that they're going to be tax cuts. Is there anything, there isn't any economic stroke they can pull to save themselves? They really do look a busted flush, don't they, Chris? Oh yes, absolutely. And what they're doing is is playing with with funny money. And I've said to you before that, that one of the stark contrasts between Britain and Ireland is that over in Ireland you are debating about how to spend actual money, real money that exists, the surpluses that may be bigger or smaller, depending on your corporation tax receipts and all that good stuff. Yes. 
over in the UK today, for example, we had some news that public sector borrowing last month was lower than forecast. It's still a lot higher than it was this time last year, but it came in lower than was forecast by the budgetary watchdog, the Office for Budget Responsibility. So that means people in Whitehall and Downing Street do cartwheels. Remember, we're borrowing more money than we did last year, but less than forecast. And in this really weird anti-expert, we don't do complexity world that we live in, that means that we're going to have tax cuts. So it's completely daft. We're spending money that we don't have. And we don't have, you know, we are borrowing huge amounts of money, um, more than we did last year. But we have this funny money smoke and mirrors accounting system that means that this this week, the speculation is we might get one penny off the basic rate of tax and or some cuts to our equivalent of PRSI or USC, whichever one that they decide to go for, and an attack on benefit claimants. Yes, two, 2.4 million people on long-term disability in the UK now, and it is absolutely true that number has skyrocketed since the pandemic, and nobody is quite sure why. Notwithstanding the complexity of why people are on long-term disability benefits, God knows, they might actually be sick. Um, the uh, minister concerned only yesterday said that it's their duty, their national duty for these people on benefits um, to work from home and to become economically active. And to they're going to tighten up the rules. They, and they're basically having a go at, at these people yes. who are on these sickness benefits, with the subtext being that they shouldn't be on uh, benefits. Instead of a, a, approaching this very difficult, complicated question and asking, why has there been this big increase in sick people? Is it real? Is it apparent? Is there something funny going on with the numbers? Um, we just simply make all these assertions based, I don't know, I pull these assertions out of thin air and policy is made up as you go along. And when you do that, when you when you when you say that this is a very simple problem and that we just need to cut the number of benefits claimants so that we can have a headline grabbing cut in income tax or national insurance, which isn't really justified on the arithmetic anyway, it's it's a it's the theatre of the absurd. It really is. Yeah, let me ask you about I mean, the Tories now, they have to, I think, believe that they need to hold on to their base. Base is older people wealthier people, South of England people. And one of the proposals, which I don't think will be announced tomorrow by the Chancellor, would be the, abolish the abolishment of inheritance tax. That is a big issue now, isn't it? It's an issue here to some extent. but It, it, is a it, it isn't a, a big issue because hardly any people in the UK pay inheritance tax. And they've whipped this one up again. Yeah. It's creating something. Why, why don't they pay it? Because they have a clever way of siphoning the money off. It's not very clever, but there is a way. If We have this peculiar rule in the UK that, first of all, if you are passing on the family home to a direct descendant, um, you can pass on up to a million pounds tax-free. So that takes care of the vast majority of estates. Yes. For those people who are lucky enough to be either giving or receiving in excess of a million pounds, either because it's not the family home or you've just got more money than that. If you give, if I gave away my multi-millions now to my two sons uh, in the UK, uh, I, and I lived for another seven years, which hopefully I will, that would be tax-free. It's a peculiar thing. You don't have this in, in Ireland, but no. giving away money and then living for a while frees you of the burden of inheritance tax. Right. So a vanishingly small number of people 
pay inheritance tax in the UK. It's a totally confected debate. It's complicated because the rules are complicated, unnecessarily complicated. If anything, inheritance taxes in the UK should be going up, not down, on the basis of the fact that most estates in the UK pass very happily, very legally, tax-free. And they've managed to whip up this debate of everybody around the country thinking that they're going to be uh, slapped with these death duties. And it's a a real non-issue. And it's because, of course, again, we don't understand the complexities. They're not embraced. They're not explained. It can be explained very simply, this particular issue. And yet we have this completely confected debate about inheritance taxes because they somehow believe that everybody in the south of England is sitting there terrified, curtain-twitching over the taxes that their estate is going to pay. It's a nonsense. It really is. Yeah, and the final point about this British government, they're giving nothing to Northern Ireland because the Assembly isn't sitting. Well, that's, yeah, pure politics. That, that's been taken to mean that... Uh, that's scandalous, really, isn't it? Because they have a, a, a responsibility for the situation in the North. The Assembly isn't sitting for reasons that are not unconnected with Boris Johnson and the Tory government governments over the years, and uh, they're penalising people of, of, of the North. Eamon, if you don't think that embracing complexity is a good idea, why would you go anywhere near Northern Ireland? Right. Uh, if you think that uh, one way of saving money is not to give any more money to Northern Ireland, when you are going to be budgeting for, uh, God God help them, such, a, such as it, it is, there's nothing really left of the levelling up policy, but there is there are some vestiges. The minister, Michael Gove, yes, so <laughs> is the only else? thing that's left. Poor bits of Wales will get a little bit more money. Poor bits of the northeast of England are due to get budgetary increases. And, and they're fighting over a shrinking pot of money about how much to give the poorer regions of Great Britain, but not the United Kingdom. Because it's a very easy saving. Because if, you're not, if, you, if you can say, well, until there's an assembly, we can't give any money to Northern Ireland because the, the people who would decide where it goes aren't sitting. So therefore, we won't give them any money to not decide. We'll give it to Wales or the northeast of England instead. I mean, they're not saying that explicitly, but that is exactly what is going on. It's a very easy win for them because uh, there are no conservative votes in Northern Ireland no. to speak of, but there are some, they think, left somewhere in England or Wales. Uh, so, yeah, it's a disgrace. Northern Ireland should be getting more money in the, uh, the, the pittance that is available to be shared around the UK. But it, it is definitely punishment for... Um, effectively, the DUP for not agreeing to go back into the Assembly. And it's in, been interesting that I think it was Peter Robinson who has noticed this, that ex-Unionist politician. Yes. And he's been saying that, you know, the, 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 the sheer weight of money argument that, you know, in order to get this money, they're going to have to reconstitute the Assembly. And that he believes, I think he said yesterday, that it will be reconstituted simply on the basis of economics. And, that, you know, Money talks very loudly, doesn't it? And I suspect that um, even the DUP will have noticed that now the people of Northern Ireland are suffering because of their refusal to go back in. A quick final question, Chris. We started out with um, Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon and the feeling, uh, the suspicion that somewhere because of these geopolitical crises and that we've never had them, it seems to me, so close up as we have uh, in this generation anyway since 1940s 
that being in cash and getting rid of your shares is a good idea. What? Uh, uh, what should I? I don't like to ask you. You're not on this. We're not. We're not really as a share tipster, but no. is it is it in your view very significant or not that Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon are getting into cash and out oh, and out of stock? We should definitely pay attention to that and factor it into our investment decisions. But going, I, I, neither gentleman will have gone one hundred percent into oh, cash. No, 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 no. They still, they still own a lot of shares. So yes. remember that. Um, it, I think it probably is a good idea to be a little bit cautious right now. What's really interesting, though, is that the U.S. stock market, in particular is completely ignoring these two guys. And it, at the moment, it's going up very, very strongly. Right. And there are lots of reasons for that. But the main one is that so far, all of these forecasts for the world economy to go into a, a deep dive as a result of geopolitics, yes. high interest rates, and all these other factors, these are the dogs that haven't barked. I mean, right. one of the, the key things that has happened, financial things that has happened since October the 7th, the Hamas attacks, is that the oil price has gone down. That's the key barometer of how financial markets think uh, these that the war in the Middle East, at least, right. is likely to spread or not. If you thought that the war in the Middle East was going to widen out into a regional, if not global, problem, then the oil price would be well over $100 a barrel. It's currently, this morning, at about $80 a barrel, lower than it was on October the 7th. So, in their cold-hearted, cynical, awful ways, the financial markets are saying, yeah, absolutely. If you're in Gaza, this is a very big deal. But if you're not, it's not. And Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon are experts, so they can safely be ignored. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. As always, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. And we're very grateful to Chris Johns, former economist with, chief economist, I should say, with the Bank of Ireland. Grateful to Chris, as always, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.